Welcome to the Allianz Global Corporate and Specialty Podcast. I'm Ken Reichman, Media Relations Coordinator in North America. Recently, I had the opportunity to sit down with James Van Meter, Aviation Practice Leader, to discuss the recently published AGCS special report, Rise of the Drones. In this podcast, we'll examine the key issues and trends behind the rapidly increasing numbers of drones in the sky. We'll also look at potential risk exposures associated with drones and discuss current and emerging commercial uses and benefits. Finally, we'll review the regulatory landscape and the ways in which insurance is being used to improve the safety of drones and mitigate their risk. I hope you enjoy the podcast, but first... This podcast is brought to you by Allianz Global Corporate and Specialty. Here at Allianz, and you probably think large, complex accounts that require specialty expertise in areas like marine or aviation. The fact is, we bring that same level of specialty know-how to thousands of mid-sized and small companies. Whether your client's territory is around the block or around the globe, Allianz can help. Allianz, we're more than you know. All right, so back here with James Van Meter, the aviation practice leader. James, we're happy to have you, uh, the pilot AGCS podcast, and I guess we could say pun definitely intended with the uh, drone connection. Let's jump right into it. We, we talk a lot about drones, uh, but the technical term is UAS, right? So what is a UAS? Correct. So there are a lot of different terms used for the space. Obviously, drone is probably the most popular uh, term to describe uh, these aircraft. Um, that's definitely the, the term that the press has, has uh, latched on to. Um, drones, though, really, I mean, uh, before a couple of years ago, really were meant to describe military aircraft, uh, typically flying missions over Iraq or Afghanistan um, in offensive or uh, intelligence-gathering missions. Um, you know, the drones, uh, the, the unmanned uh, civilian world, really didn't react well to the, the term drones being used for civilian aircraft because they thought it connotated images of these, uh, these uh, you know, uh, war-fighting aircraft. Um, but drones really has come to describe everything in this space. The technical term, though, that we do prefer is unmanned aircraft systems, UAS. And that, and that comprise, is comprised of multiple things, the aircraft itself, the controller, any ground support equipment. That all makes up the system. The aircraft itself is, is often described as a UAV, an unmanned aerial vehicle. There are also a lot of other terms out there, which are RPA, remotely piloted aircraft. Um, in in dis- different countries, they have some different terms to describe it, but they all mean the same thing. Uh, an aircraft that is piloted by somebody on the ground that is not on board. All right. And, and could you speak to some commercial and hobbyist use of those devices? And, and how does that change from maybe country to country or business to business? Certainly, yeah. So the... The hobbyist world absolutely uh, comprises the largest numbers uh, of users in this space. Um, the FAA um, rolled out registration requirements in December of 2015, um, and since then over 500,000 uh, hobbyist users have registered. Um, that's pretty significant when you think about how many uh, currently licensed pilots there are in the United States. There are only about a little over 200,000 active pilots in the United States. So to have 500,000 registered uh, unmanned aircraft operators, that's, that's pretty significant. Um, the commercial uses, though, um, really cross almost every industry. Um, there are uses and value in this technology for many industries, real estate, engineering, uh, insurance adjusting, agriculture, 
entertainment filming uh, for close set filming or uh, for documentary uh, production work. Um, there really are, are hundreds of uses for the technology, and we're seeing more and more ideas, uh, you know, uh, be uh, go into the designs of new aircraft and and be used uh, out in the real world. And how have those designs changed over the course of time? Have they become more for commercial use, or have they kind of angled themselves towards the hobbyist? Certainly the commercial sector is where most companies are focused on technologies and uh, new systems. And, and the different types of, of UAS, or, or if I could use the term drone without upsetting the aviation community. So the different types of drone, quick snippet, what, what would those be? So the most popular type of drone is the quadcopter. Uh, it's basically four propellers, four motors. Uh, it allows the aircraft to pretty much land and take off from anywhere. Um, the other types are fixed wing, just like a regular airplane, um, rotor wing, which are helicopters, and multi-copters, which are like a quadcopter, but they have multiple propellers and motors. We see the multi-copters used in, in a heavier lift uh, operations um, where there's a heavier camera or sensor package that needs to be uh, lifted. Right, so the, there's a different spot for each of these drones, right? So if you're checking over a, a disaster area, what would you use? Or what would you use when uh, just flying over a sports game or a movie scene? So we see in the, the per film production and uh, the sports in any you know venue, outdoor festival, concert, stuff like that, the quadcopter is the most popular because you can launch it and land it anywhere. Whereas when you're flying a fixed wing, you do need a little bit more space for launch and landing. Um, we see the fixed wing units used more for search and rescue, for uh, mass disaster uh, surveillance, um, anywhere where you need to cover more ground. Um, the FAA has forecasted this year alone, 2.5 million drones will be sold in the United States. Of that 2.5 million, 600,000 are going to be used for commercial purposes. So those are huge numbers just today, just this year. By 2020, that number is supposed to be over 7 million drones. Companies like Amazon, DHL, um, even 7-Eleven trying to develop uh, drones for package delivery, uh, delivery of other goods and services. Um, we're really going to see this technology uh, be integrated into everyone's daily lives. Let's just blatantly say that people can't be flying these things with no rules or regulations. So the FAA has released FAR Part 107, which will come into effect at the end of August. Can you give us a rundown of those? Sure. So FAR Part 107 is the culmination of the FAA working for around three years uh, to develop formal rules and regulations that apply to unmanned aircraft. Three years ago, there were, were no rules that really applied to this space. The uh, small aircraft uh, hobby rule applied, but there, were, there was a lot of confusion about whether drones and unmanned aircraft met the FAA definition of aircraft. And there was actually some, uh, some litigation um, and some court rulings that, uh, that ended up ruling that unmanned aircraft are aircraft and that the FAA has the power to regulate. So FAR Part 107, it had to go through a pretty extensive rulemaking process um, there were a lot of uh, stakeholders involved in the process. There was a lengthy comment period um, where uh, users and, and groups were allowed to, to make their comments and suggestions for what they wanted to see in the rule. But FAR Part 107 really is it's groundbreaking in this area. 
It provides the formal rules for pilot certification for commercial operation, and it also lays the groundwork for future amendments. Um, there's a waiver process in there for unmanned aircraft to operate beyond visual line of sight. There's a waiver process in there for unmanned aircraft to operate at nighttime. Um, there are a lot of things that I think the FAA is going to, you know, it's in place that the FAA will continue to build on over the years because this technology is developing so rapidly. Um, it certainly has outpaced the ability for the FAA to come up with new regulations to match what these unmanned aircraft are capable of. Right. So the FAA, their regulations and their continued attempt at regulations are fairly extensive. And like you said, they've been in the process of doing so for about three years. Now, the FAA only cares for the United States. How, do, how does the global picture relate? We do see um, countries around the world model their regulatory structure around what the FAA has done. Um, you know, a lot of countries don't have the resources or the expertise to develop um, extensive rules for new areas like unmanned aircraft. So I think we can expect to see a lot of countries adopt a similar set of regulations uh, that are either exactly like FAR Part 107 or very close. With so many new drone operators, and I think you mentioned about 500,000 new drone operators entering the space, there's got to be a multitude of risk. There is absolutely. Anytime you're operating a piece of equipment, whether it be a manned aircraft or an unmanned aircraft, there are certain risks and, uh, you know, the potential for damage or injury um, anytime you start those motors and you're, you're flying around. So does that just go to the use of heavy machinery, or is there something else to be said for uh, loss of control or privacy or cyber, stuff like that? So certainly, I mean, the, the, most, uh, the biggest risk presented by commercial uh, unmanned aircraft operations is, you know, very similar to manned uh, aircraft risk. It's, you know, uh, damage to the aircraft itself. Uh, there's uh, injury that can occur either to the operator um, or to innocent third parties. So these two terms we refer to as bodily injury and property damage. Those are really the, the two biggest risks. When you start getting to cyber and some of these other areas, um, yeah, there isn't a lot of focus on those areas right now. Um, it's mainly the new commercial operators trying to obtain quality insurance coverage so that they can go out and, uh, and, and bid jobs and they can be hired by companies that wanna, want to you know, utilize the drone service. Um, as we see in most other areas, um, sophisticated parties, uh, when they contract for service, they want to make sure that the people they're hiring are legitimate and they have insurance coverage and they're trained and they know what they're doing. So we often see the demand for insurance come from uh, purchasers of drone service. Um, so if you're a company that you don't want to hire drone, you don't want to buy drones and you don't want to hire pilots, um, you just want to contract for the service, um, you're going to go out and you're going to look for an operator to come in and film or collect the data for whatever specific uh, business operation you, you want to look at. Um, and we see those companies, you know, uh, when they uh, develop contracts, have requirements for insurance limits, additional insured, um, indemnity provisions, stuff like that. So is there a coverage for companies who go out and purchase the operator and not the, the drone itself? Absolutely, yeah. We sell a non-owned aviation product. Uh, that 
purchasers of drone service can buy to protect themselves. It gives them their own policy. Um, it gives them their own defense. It gives them uh, a limit that sits on top of whoever they hire. Uh, so it's definitely one of those key things in a risk management strategy that we recommend all purchasers of drone service uh, look into and, and consider purchasing. Say you're a commercial operator. Let's say you're an Amazon. You're trying to deliver a package. What kind of coverages are there for that? So they would uh, a commercial operator would go come into the aviation insurance marketplace and purchase hull and liability coverage. So hull covers the aircraft itself. It's physical damage to the aircraft. So we can cover the aircraft, the ground control stations, any associated equipment with the drone. And then the liability portion, obviously, is for third-party bodily injury and property damage. So if the aircraft collides with uh, somebody's car, if it collides with a power line, if it collides uh, with, with uh, a person uh, and does injury, that liability coverage is there to protect the, the operator. So we've talked a lot about risks and specific risks at that. How do we mitigate those risks, and, and what do you think are the most important steps to do so? So the, the risk management steps are different for each, each operation. Um, maybe we can break that down into two different categories. Let's say the commercial uh, drone um, operator. You know, there are a couple different things that they can do to mitigate their risk. One is make sure that you're always – following the FAA rules and guidelines. You're properly certificated under Part 107. Um, completing manufacturer's training for the equipment that you're operating, knowing the limitations of your equipment, um, following, uh, using checklists and following standard operating procedures before every flight. Um, huge, huge differentiator in making you a safer operator. Um, also buying insurance. Um, you know, again, if you're going to be a, uh, a viable commercial operator, you need to show that you're a legitimate operation to your customers, and you need to protect your investment in the business. Uh, so buying uh, quality coverage is, is very important. If you're a company who's going to hire a drone operator, there are also a few things that you can do to protect yourself. One is making sure that you properly vet the commercial operator that you're going to hire. Are they properly licensed? Do they have insurance? Uh, what kind of uh, experience do they have operating in the environment you're hiring them to operate in? Um, those things are key. Having a good contract in place that uh, spells out your obligations to them and their obligations to you is, is very important. In that contract, you want to make sure that you have indemnity provisions, that the operator, not only do they have valid insurance, they have an adequate limit of insurance. Um, also, you want to get additional insured status from them um, that's going to protect you if they're operating uh, on your property or on your behalf and they injure somebody or damage somebody's property. Um, that'll give you your first level of protection. James Van Meter, the guinea pig for the AGCS podcast. James, thanks so much for coming on. Thanks for having me. So I want to give a special thank you to James Van Meter and to you, the listener, for Joining us as we took a look into the world of drones. To find out more, you can download the Rise of the Drones report by clicking on the link in the description of this podcast, or you can visit the AGCS website at www.agcs.allianz.com. If you have feedback, questions, suggestions, or any ideas for future podcasts, email us at agcs.communication at allianz.com. On behalf of James and the entire AGCS team, I'm Ken Reichman. We'll see you next time.